Hi, I'm Colin, and thank you for downloading this podcast. This big debate was originally recorded in September 2018, but was never released. James, Matt, Marcus, and I again discuss big topics in the big debate. Basically, this is a lost tape that has been rediscovered. So a bit like Tutankhamun, off of the pyramids. But more relevant and less about Egypt and more about football. And also Phil Foden gets mentioned far too many times. Um, Sorry about that. Uh, If you had a tenner every time Phil Foden gets mentioned on his podcast, you might probably be as rich as Phil Foden. Um, Oh no, how many times have I already said Phil Foden? Damn it, now it's loads of times. Best I shut up. Here's the podcast. Enjoy. We've got a very good lineup for you tonight, not only with topics, but with pundit. So let's introduce the panel for tonight. I'm Matthew, of course, that doesn't need explaining. Um, we'll start uh, to the left, if if you want to count it that way. Uh, it's James Rowe calling all the way from the Netherlands. James, a good evening and good to have you back. Yeah, nice to be back. Good evening, fellas. Hello to everybody. Good. You you literally had an international break because you went um, you went abroad during, uh, during our hiatus. So just tell us a wee bit about that. I, went, I attended a family wedding in Spain, and it was very, very nice indeed. Really enjoyed it. Good. Did you catch any of the La Liga action whilst you were out there, or did you stay in the wedding reception? Uh, I stayed in the wedding reception, but somebody told me that Spain did beat England 2-1. Good. Oh, yeah, of course, it was international breaks and no La Liga. See, this is see, this is why we pay James the big bucks, because he, he's better than uh, football knowledge than I am. But enough about James. Let's move on to our other two. Uh, who shall I introduce next? Uh, we'll go in what I think is age order. I'll kick off and I'll go to Marcus next. Marcus, how are you? Hello. Um, are you saying I'm older than James? At a guess. Uh, no, no, you're not older than James. James is older than no. you. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Either way. Um, Marcus, hello. Hello. Are you happy that I have, haven't introduced you as the substitute for tonight? You're now an official member of the panel. Uh, what, um, is this it? Is this my uh, coronation? Yeah, if you want to call it that. Uh, oh, yeah, official well. debut. Oh, we'll make it, we'll make it. Much like Steve one. Harper yeah, had all those years on the bench and then he got his start. This, It's like that for you. Yeah, and then got lobbed from like 60 yards against Javi Alonso. Rounding off the panel, it's our oh, it's our favourite Dowie Yorkshireman. And as I keep saying, Chris Waddle lookalike, it's Colin. Colin, good to have you back as well. Hi there, guys. Uh, great to be here. Good to be back. Yeah, after a, bit, after a bit of a hiatus for reasons that we shan't get into. But what we shall get into is our first topic of the night. I was on holiday. Oh, yeah, a very <laughs> long holiday. Yeah, <laughs> okay, a very long holiday. summer holidays. Okay. I had my kids, so that's that's why I was away. Okay, fair enough. I th- okay. Yeah, yeah, Matt. <laughs> there, were, there were other reasons that, again, we shan't get into, but we'll just, as I say, we'll kick off with What's our first <laughs> We'll kick up. Marcus, shut up. Stop interrupting. This is why I need you in the same room, so I can control you. You make it sound like Taken. Like I've been on a mission. I've been to Istanbul. <laughs> right. Enough. We need to get, we need to, get to topics. I, I don't like when other podcasts start um, 
uh, gallivanting and raving and uh, going off on tangents, so I want to keep it off that. Right. I was listening to Talk Sport this week. Don't ask me why. I was. I, I very rarely listen to it. But Jim White was bringing up the subject of uh, Gareth Southgate's team selection. This is where we get our first topic from. Is that he gave three players, uh, Gareth Southgate in the game, I believe it was against Switzerland, three players. It was their first games of the season. I think it was Ben Chilwell, Jordan Henderson, and one more. Uh, I think it was Danny Welbeck. Um, that have played that that game against Switzerland was their first game of the season, so they hadn't played for their clubs, and he sort of gave the um, uh, premise of should uh, players be playing for their no if you're not playing for your club should you be playing for your country sort of thing, and it got me thinking: Do British uh, managers of British teams have a duty to play British players? If you want to, if you want to get my uh, mind new down to it and say, you know, if you're playing in the English league, um, play English players. If you're playing up in Scotland, play Scottish players, so on and so forth. But I know there's a lot of moving around uh, to go with that, so we'll try and keep we'll try and keep it to British and British. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna kick off with this because this is something I feel very strong about, and I think they do. It's something I've called Pep Guardiola out on many times before. It uh, and the case study for this is uh, Phil Foden who's this uh, wonder kid that's coming through uh, Manchester City. But what I, I don't know he's a wonder kid because I haven't seen him play. Because Pep Guardiola just doesn't give him as much game time as I think he should. For instance, yesterday, when Man City were 3-0 up on Fulham with about 15 minutes to go, he brought on Riyad Mahrez. Now, in that situation, surely you bring on Phil Foden. Or, in an ideal world, you don't have Riyad Mahrez at all. I've said this when he was going for him in January and when he went for him in the summer. Look at the players Look at the players that you have, and the example is Patrick Roberts. Patrick, Patrick Roberts is a, right, is a left-footed right-winger slash number 10, which is what you'd really would call Riyad Mahrez, a left-footed right-winger slash number 10. So you already had him in the, in the club, so to speak. Why not give him the game time? Why go out and buy £60 million worth of, uh, or however much it was, for Riyad Mahrez? And the same goes for Phil Foden. The amount of times towards the end of last season when Man City was street, uh, steamrolling towards the league, when they were 5-0 up with 15 minutes to go, whatever, or even after they'd wrapped the title up, Phil Foden got limited minutes. So I think for the best of his development, if you don't want, if you don't think he's good enough to start, fine. You know, Sergio Aguero or Phil Foden, I think it's a pretty easy one who you start with. But in that situation where the game is done and you want to give play, go give it to young English slash British players. It's and it's not only it's not only Pep Guardiola. It's something that goes on with a number of clubs, like for instance Danny Drinkwater and Ross Barkley at Chelsea. Why buy in players like Jorginho and uh, Kovacic when you have when you have English slash British players already in your system? Surely you brought them there for a reason. Now, James, you're sort of very much on the opposite end of the scale to me. So, I want uh, what are your uh, general thoughts? Just tell me what your views are of this. Uh, my views is that when a manager, any manager, uh, playing his trade at the top level of a European league, when he's picking his starting 11 and his substitute bench he's looking at the quality and the talent at his disposal he's not looking at a passport and if you've got a right back who you believe is better than the one you have 
then you pick him to enhance your chances to win the game. Um, I can understand your point of being um, of being proactive to giving youth a chance, but I think that the Premier League is, 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 is lagging behind other European leagues. Here in the Netherlands, for example, young players get given a chance and young players in the youth setup of almost every single team in the top division receive a footballing education and they're looked after both on and off the pitch in their youth development. Um, I think that the Premier League in particular, um, I think managers are just, uh, they know that their position is precarious, they know that the money involved and, and the choices that they make, you know, the money, the disposal of the league where the team that finishes bottom of the Premier League has more money than the entire Eredivisie put together in terms of budgets. So um, I just think that if you look back into the 80s where you had a maximum of three foreign players who were allowed to play in the starting eleven, um, and that rule was abolished because it contradicted uh, free movement and, and allowing players to move around, that rule, uh, if that st- rule was still applicable today, it could be uh, could be very interesting. And it's a sh- you could say in some quarters it's a shame that that rule was abolished. But we live in the times we live in. But I think that uh, although I, you make a very good point and, and give very good examples, I just think that the managers at, at top level, particularly in the Premier League, they're not they're not looking at the uh, at the passport. They're looking at the quality they have at their disposal to win the game and. Uh, and for the team to pick up as much points and challenge for honours. Yeah, I think it's more a top end of the uh, Premier League, uh, and 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 to an extent, you know, to an extent uh, across the leagues, it's the foreign players tend to drift towards the top of the table. You know, no one's no one's um, criticising Burnley for not giving uh, British players uh, for not giving British players a go. No one's uh, no one criticised Stoke for you know uh, keeping up with. Ryan Shawcross for all those years. No one criticize is criticizing West Ham for you know they've got this Declan Rice thing. Mark Noble's in there. They had Joe Hart last year, so they're giving British players a go. So it, it is more of a, a top of a top of the table thing. But it goes to what you say. You know, a manager put in the best situation to win. And and I and I agree with you and I agree with you to an extent, but surely, like I said, in the situation with Pep Guardiola last year, when the title was already wrapped up, surely that is then the chance to give a senior players a rest because you never know what's going to happen to them, especially when you had the World Cup coming up. You, they want to be rested, so why not give the likes of Phil Foden and Patrick Roberts? I don't know if he was still there. He may have still been on loan at Celtic at the time. Why not give them the game? Uh, the game time when you know it's been said that you know British players lack development and lack game opportunities the opportunities are there but I just don't think that managers at the top level are you know are giving them the opportunity that that they need I can answer that question go Marcus um have you seen all or nothing the Manchester City documentary on Amazon Prime Um, no because I refuse to no no, well, you're living in ignorance then because it's, yep, absolutely, it's a fascinating insight into uh, that season and into um, uh, an English football club uh, at that level. It's a good documentary. And once they had wrapped up the title, uh, Pep Guardiola gathered the players into the meeting room and said, right, next step is to go for the record. Uh, we want to break the 100 uh, point record barrier. So if at that point Pep Guardiola starts bringing in these youthful teams where they may not 
um, you know, may not win games, may not collect the points that they needed, then they wouldn't have achieved that target as well. So ultimately, what it comes down to for Pep Guardiola is, uh, regardless of where you're from, who you are, is are you good enough? And are you good enough to achieve what I want to achieve? So by this point, he's already gone out the Champions League. He's won the League Cup, gone out the FA Cup. And they've already won the Premier League. What's the next goal after that? OK, we're going to break the record for it. We're going to score the most goals. We're going to have the most wins. We're going to earn the most points. That's my next goal. And that's what they achieved. So that's what he was gunning for. So the opportunity in Pep Guardiola's mind uh, didn't really come up for him to say, oh, I can bring through some of the um, the youths from the Manchester City Academy. Which at this point, if we're quite honest, is all but in a way redundant, given the resources. I think Manchester City are like the fourth highest earning revenue club in the world. They go. You say it's redundant because of the money and the and the players that they can bring in. Yeah. But it this is slightly going, but it's something I've said of, of Pep Guardiola. He is apparently meant to be the best the pe- the best coach in the world. Surely this is then your chance to prove it. Give Phil Foden get coach up Phil Foden to a level where you don't need where you don't need to buy these players for 60, 70, 80 million pounds. Is Phil Surely Foden if, not representing his country at youth level? Youth level. So okay, regardless, that that means you need to be of a level of ability to do that. So when therefore, he was doing it. and also no, I disagree with this point on Phil Foden anyway because having watched that documentary, I see Phil Foden was getting minutes, he was getting runouts, he was playing in the League Cup run, he was playing in the FA Cup. I'm pretty sure he got a run out against Huddersfield at home as well. He was getting certain minutes, just bedding him in gradually into domestic football you've got to remember this kid's 17 years old what were you doing when you were 17 years old you can know count, and it's not I... directly comparing it to you but you know to enter like that sort of you know coliseum uh amongst the likes of where you're playing alongside david silver sergio aguero and you're holding your own to have the mental capacity to do that that takes a lot of stones Hang on, Wayne Rooney was playing regularly for Everton and England at the age of seventeen. Ryan Sessegnon got. What else did What else did uh, Everton have at that point to their disposal? They have this wonder kid coming through, banging in goals. Of course, they're going to play him regularly. Manchester City have got Sergio Aguero, Gabriel Jesus, Leroy Sane. They don't have to rely on a wonder kid in Phil Foden. They can take their time to ad- to uh, uh, adapt and improve him. Ryan Sessegnon has more Premier League minutes this. Got more Premier League minutes in two games than mm-hmm. Phil Foden did all of last season. So don't Phil Foden played less I, than I'm ninety minutes in total last year. I'm not. I, I'm not. Get, I'm not getting this that he got. I, he didn't get significant game minutes. It was ten minutes at the end when every, when the game was all wrapped up. Why not give it? Why not give him forty-five minutes? Why not give him a whole game? Could I, could I come in on this one? I'll let Colin yes, Colin, because you've yeah. been quiet on this. Yeah. No. No. I mean, basically, I think um, the whole Phil Foden argument detracts from the the main point of the question which is about homegrown players but just to answer Phil Foden the, the you know your point on that Leeds United came in for Phil Foden um, on a loan deal um, and that didn't go through because they didn't want him to play championship football I mean he would have set the championship alight but yeah they were worried about his development and also you know exactly what Steve Morrison of Millwall is going to do to him. He's going to go straight through him, right? And that was the issue. Phil Foden's on that cusp, just between Championship level and um, Premier League level, where he's just not, perhaps, he's got the skill, but perhaps not physically or mentally ready just yet. Um, and maybe it's just one of those lads who 
you know, at 17, I didn't know me left from me right. I don't think he's just developed yet. He's going to play for Manchester City. I have absolutely no doubt about that. Um, and he will get his chance. But, I mean, for example, um, this weekend, Jack Harrison, who Leeds United got on loan from Manchester City, scored the equalising goal against Millwall. Um, he's had a lot of experience. He's a young lad. I think he's 20, 21. Um, fantastic. But he was ready to drop into the championship and Pep Guardiola felt it would make him a better player. I think that Pep Guardiola felt with Phil Foden that it wouldn't make him a better player. Um, hence why that one's not gone through. But I, I, I think that's detracting from the, the 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 main point of the question, which is about homegrown players. Yeah, there's an extent to it, but we'll touch on it because he's just the the main argument that I can got this. But surely you'd rather have Phil Foden playing 90 minutes every week than coming off and making sporadic 10 minutes. You'd rather have big fish in a small pond than sitting on the bench for 80 for 80 minutes. Well, sure. Would you rather have him training with the likes of Aguero and Silva all week? I'd rather have him getting game away, time. Uh, I'd know, rather he got game or time. Or would you rather hang on? Let me finish, hang on. Let me finish my point. Would you rather have him do that, or would you rather have him going on loan to a championship club, playing alongside uh, or training alongside other players which are beneath his level? We are getting off point here, uh, and you know the main point to take away from this is, and I'm kind of siding towards James with this, is ultimately it's so cutthroat, particularly for managers at this level of domestic competition like ultimately uh, it's about winning uh, there's no real you know short of the fa you know introducing a rule saying that you must have at least three homegrown or british players however you want to define it uh, within your 18 you know, match match day squad then they're not going to abide by that because ultimately they want to get the best players that they can get within their budget to achieve the targets uh, set to them by their board above them Hmm. See, I personally think that's a, I think that's a good idea. Personally, with this whole, and this is gonna, you know, I, I promise we won't get onto it. But this is something that maybe Brexit could deliver. Is you know, when you get out of this uh, freedom of movement, freedom of uh, trade of people sort of thing, and once we and we're allowed to have, you know, uh, we're out of EU rules sort of thing, or maybe we aren't. I don't know. But if you are allowed to have a quota system where you have, uh, no, three uh, homegrown players must be in the starting eleven. I think that's only going to. I think that's only going to be beneficial in you know, the long run. I, I think this. I think what you're proposing there, Matt, is a little bit naughty. If you're good enough, you're good enough. It doesn't matter what nationality you are. It isn't yeah. any. It isn't the Premier League's job to improve the England national team. That's the thing. I think it is. It's no. It's it not. Is. It's the FA's job. The FA get a lot of money. It's their job to build three D, three G pitches. It's their job to train kids up. It's their job <laughs> to train coaches and and make it affordable for people. It's not the Premier League's job. It's not Manchester United's job to make England lift the World Cup. I mean that's just insanity, right? And the thing is, I mean I think you're also the thing is one of the other things that I think you're sort of oversimplifying. It's sometimes it's easy to use the British word and sometimes it's easy to use the English word. So, for example, you support Wales. Yeah. Yeah, right? Wales are an international team. Yeah. Yeah. England are an international team. Yes. Right. So, if you say three homegrown players, then only Swansea and Cardiff, of any note, are going to be able to have, are going to be forced to have three Welsh players 
in yeah. their in their in their squad, yeah. Yeah, I'll admit there's a bit of a grey area in regards to well, Swansea Wales, whether, whether, whether or not you've had English or British. I'll admit there's a bit of a grey area. It's not Team GB for football. So if if you're saying that, then fair enough. All Scottish teams have to have three Scottish players. The English teams will be all right because there's plenty of English pl- players to go around. But but the thing is, well, why, why just the Premier League? Do you have to? Is it enforced on Championship, League One, League Two? I mean, normally, you know, they're more English player heavy. Yeah. The idea of the Premier League was to globalise it as a league, like to introduce to you know the rest of the world, bringing in the world's greatest talent to you know one domestic league, league for the you know alleged home of football, and you know bringing these players from overseas, um, you know to you know for young boys and girls, whoever you know, going to their local football team uh, every couple of weeks and seeing the likes of you know, all these world class players coming to their doorstep, you know, it's a spectacle. You know, and that was the sort of um, that was the USP behind the Premier League initially. So to then take it, not necessarily a backward step, but an alternate step to say that Premier League must, you know, put out homegrown English players or Welsh players, as you say, whether it's Cardiff or how, however you work your way around it, then you know it's it's almost a sort of um, double standards at that point. I, I do believe the Premier League has a responsibility towards development of the English game. However, I would argue that's probably more towards cash and money flowing back into youth football and going back into the FA um, and coaching, perhaps, young kids. But I just think having a strict quota, is, I think it's, it's, quite a, um, it's, it's quite a draconian line, don't you think? That you can, it's very nationalistic, quite jingoistic. It's no. a shame. It's a shame. Going back to Matt's earlier point, talking about what were the three players again that started against Switzerland? It was Danny Welbeck, Ben Chilwell. Um... It, it, uh, ben Chilwell, I know, was one, and I believe Jordan Henson. It, it wasn't Danny Welbeck because he played against Spain, but that was just the first name that came to mind. Someone else. I can't remember who the third one was. Could have been like Loftus Cheek or something. Regardless, whoever it was, um, you know, we talk about these players, you know, and to be to be honest, given the England team, having looked at, you know, you look at the World Cup. England 11 of the summer, the majority of them were starting for their clubs. I'm thinking of Maguire, Pickford, Kane, Ali. John Sterling. Stones wasn't. John, Sto- John Stones was Towards injured. the latter end. John Stones was injured for quite a bit of that season, which you'd see if you watch that documentary instead of living in ignorance. However, if you look at that England 11, a lot of them were actually starting for their clubs anyway. So the ones that weren't simply weren't good enough for for their respective managers. Yeah, sure. James, you've been uh, quiet for the past couple of minutes. Anything you wish to add? Uh, well, going back to, to international football for a minute, surely the job of a national team manager is to find and identify players that will improve your squad as time goes on. Uh, I've, read in, I've read some reports that... Um, that Chilwell was uh, was brought into the squad because the match was being played in Leicester and that local local fans would go and watch. Chilwell is a fantastic talent. He's a very he's going to have a very bright future, but I'm not sure he's ready to be brought into the England fold. And when you've got the likes of uh, Jamal Lascelles, John Joe Selby, Mark Albrighton, these are excellent players. Uh, why don't, they should also be given an opportunity to to shine. Marcus is nursing a semi by the fact that you just mentioned those two names. No, but I'm you dead. Will- 
They're you will names. find if, we, if there is ever an England friendly hosted up St James's Park, I think James is right. I think you will find that they will be considered. But it shouldn't be like that. It should be done on merit. It should not. It done, shouldn't. Yeah, it shouldn't, on, it shouldn't be done on location. If you look at Spain, for example, Spain have um, Luis Enrique as their manager now, and he's only been in charge for five minutes. But you can see in terms of selection who he's picked. Uh, what he's looking for, uh, um, if you read the reports in the local media like I did last week, um, he's looking to change things completely. And and that's what that's what you want from a, a new national manager coming in or an existing national manager. You want them to identify uh, players that can improve. I just feel that in some cases in with England managers in recent years that caps have been handed out like sweets. When they need to be earned, you don't just give them to them because oh, he plays for the local side and fill a stadium, bums on seats. You should cap him because he's got potential and he's good enough. And uh, hopefully that will happen as as we move forward. Hang on, now England hosts a friendly up at uh, Ellen Road before the World Cup. Colin, just out of curiosity, who would be the one player that would play that would get in the England squad in the in the current lead side? Uh, there wouldn't be one. Just because they're not good enough, or just uh, or... no. The, the only player who would have um, made an appearance from Leeds had he still been at Leeds would have been Lewis Cook, who's now at Bournemouth. Okay. Um, I think off the top of my head, given with Leeds, I know he's injured at the moment, but I wouldn't say he'd get in the England team. But someone like Patrick Bamford. It's the only real name I can think to draw in. Mm, well, yeah. In fact, back in a few months ago, wasn't Fabian Delph in the starting eleven for that England team to draw in numbers? Ah, right. I, I don't know for a fact, but that, yes, that would definitely have helped draw drawing numbers. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he may have started at that point, uh, possibly wing back or in the midfield. I'm not sure, but yeah, that you, you're seeing a pattern developing there. So uh, there could be through behind that, as they do take international friendlies back on the road. So they should, you know, up and down the country. Uh, to, you know, again to you know give this international uh, level football experience to a uh, to everyone across the country and uh, you know equal opportunity for everyone yeah that's, deba- that's an additional debate to be had for another day but sadly we've come to the end of debate one you know in the words of uh, Stephen Crowder you have not changed my mind but I, apl- I applaud you for at least trying um topic number two and we're sticking with a sort of international flavor and something that sort of uh slipped under my radar mainly because I was away for transfer deadline day um uh, I noticed that Reese Nelson scored for who was it, James? Yesterday, Offenheim. Offenheim. Thank you. I thought it was, but I before I get the Arsenal fan to double check, and it was something we were we were going to discuss anyway. But the fact that Reese Nelson scored yesterday, so you know, uh, just added fuel to the fire on the subject. And it's this notion of uh, English again. If you want to uh, uh, transmogrify it into British as well, by all means, feel free. But this idea that you know English players tend English and British players tend not to go abroad. Um, now it's something that's been changing quite recently. I know Jaden Sancho's uh, making a name, uh, making a name for himself over there. I think Andrea Lookman went out on loan last year. Um, so there's a, so there's a couple of them, but in times gone by, it wasn't seen as a common thing for English slash British players to ply their trade abroad. And it's just why why don't they ply their trade abroad? You know, we have so many uh, foreigners coming over here. 
that sounds bad, but it wasn't meant to be. So many foreign players coming over here, but yeah, we the British never seem to uh, export play export players. I was wondering why is this or why was this a thing, and why is it now changing? Uh, James, you're the um, you had some experience on this. You're a Brit, you're a Brit who went abroad and applied his trade and is doing very successfully. So just I, so I'll, I'll go to the experts on this uh, subject first. I I think that players have um, have have decided to stay, perhaps from being in a comfort zone of um, of earning an awful lot of money. Um, where if they was to change change that for a new culture, a new language, a new way of thinking, um, that it for some might be a bridge too far. But I can't I can't state enough how much of a wonderful decision it's been for me uh, in terms of not just my working life but shaping me as a person and and football footballers as well you look back into the late 80s Hoddle went to Monaco Waddle went to Marseille in the early 90s Gascoigne went to uh, to Lazio Lineker went to Barcelona uh, a recent case here in the Netherlands we had Lewis Baker at Chelsea Loney came to Vitesse Arnhem and was one of the best players of the season played a huge part in Vitesse winning their first ever domestic honour, winning the Dutch Cup. And he was part of that team and he was he was everywhere. He made a fantastic um he made a fantastic impression. And I can't I can't state enough how how much of a fantastic decision it would be if even more players did it. I, I often give the example of Dale Jennings, who used to play for Tranmere and uh, was cited as being one of the best players in the country, best young youth players. And he was offered a contract by Bayern Munich. And I can imagine if you're offered a contract by Bayern Munich, that you're, you're set. You, you, you are, you are, you are in a wonderful position where you, you are looked after. It's a professional environment. Having spoken to uh, even the uh, members of the Dutch uh, ladies team play for Bayern Munich ladies team, they even say about, how the facilities are so good and how well you're looked after. Dale Jennings went to Bayern Munich and came home, I think it was six months to a year afterwards, citing homesickness. And he ended up playing for Barnsley. Now, if you are contracted by one of the biggest clubs in world football and you are looked after, you haven't got to work a 40-hour week, your language lessons are arranged for you one-on-one, you haven't got to sit in a group with 15 other people where your time zaps away, you, you only train perhaps two hours a day. You, it's a wonderful opportunity, which in his case, he, he didn't really take. And I, and I can understand people saying, oh, I didn't really get on. And, you know, it was too, it was a bridge too far. But you have to try. I mean, in the beginning, for me, in a working sense, my Dutch was awful in the beginning. I was useless. But you keep, you go through a barrier and you keep working hard and you give everything you've got. And I'm now in a position where I interview interview Dutch professional players and managers on a regular basis. So although it's very, very difficult in the beginning for everybody, regardless of where you come from, whether you're British or not, it's difficult for everybody. But if you have the, the fight and the determination and the want to do it, the rewards can be huge. So I um, I maintain that for every British player who gets the opportunity, take it with both hands and give it your best shot. If it doesn't work out for you, fine, everybody's different. But you'll find that if you are open enough and you give everything you've got, you can go on to have a, a wonderful part of your career. I mean, you look at Waddle in Marseille. I mean, obviously, Colin is a Chris Waddle look, lookalike. And I'm Beautiful sure if man. He, Beautiful if man. He, <laughs> I think if Colin ever goes to Marseille, I think he might be mobbed. 
because Chris Waddle, even now, almost 25 years after playing for Marseille, is where every time he goes there, the guy can't move. He's, the people want his time. People want his autobiog. Um, he, they want his um, his signature. They want his. Uh, they want to, to hear his opinion about the club. And Chris Waddle, by his own admission, wanted to go abroad. He explained in a in an interview that you know British clubs were banned from Europe, and he wanted to really try. And what a fantastic. Um, what a fantastic adventure it proved for him. So I believe for all British players, I can't, uh, I can't state enough. If they get the opportunity, take it with both hands and give you all. Yeah. Uh, just before I bring Marcus and Colin, I can sort of give a semi first hand experience on this. Um, I think it's not, it's a cultural thing. It's, it's not just uh, football, is it? It's a general British thing as a whole of, you know, we want to, yeah, some, uh, I think you used, used the word uh, comfort zone. We British appear to be happy living in Britain. We we don't want to. I think the language is the main thing. I'll give the example I gave. Uh, or I'll give this example. When I was in school, I went on the German exchange trip. It was one of the best experiences of my life. But there was only about 25 people from our school that applied to go for it. There were, I believe, uh, there was about 150 applications from the from the German school wanting to come here. And my uh, teacher, uh, Mrs. Brown, who's sort of uh, leading the uh, exchange program at the time, said there were children leaving. They had to have interviews in Germany to uh, find out who the best students And there were kids leaving in floods of tears because they didn't get on. Whereas if you were on the English side, if you wanted to go, you were allowed to go. So mm. I think it's, it's a general cultural thing is we... Uncover. Maybe maybe it's because of the language. That's that's probably the the first and probably I'd say biggest barrier of all. Because if you think how many German TV films or TV series did we watch growing up? How many French films did we watch? How many Spanish uh, art uh, musicians can you name? You know, we didn't. We never experienced uh, foreign cultures growing up. Whereas the Germans, the French, the Spanish, the Italians grew up listening to you know, English, uh, English and American artists. So they knew the language because they listened to it in music and films and TV shows. So that's why I think the biggest uh, problem is, is that they just don't think I'm, I'm not going to learn the language. So that's, or I can't learn the language. So that's going to be the biggest, the biggest stumbling block. So, you know, I'm, I'm just not going to do it. Marcus. But, oh no, James, James wants to come back. But, but self-belief is very important. Yeah, absolutely. I was, absolutely. I was, I was 21 when I came here, and I fought tooth and nail and fought every single day to become better. And obviously now, 12 and a half years on, things are very, very good. But it's the hard work in the beginning which saw me, you know, go to work eight hours a day, come home and 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 have a, a quick meal, and then go to a Dutch lesson for three hours, and then get up, come back home late and get up early morning to go to my shift to go to work and you didn't get much sleep you're very tired some days you're a bit like a zombie but you the, you've got to show the fight and i understand with the the language being a huge part it would help if our british schools were a little bit more open to talented children who could who, who showed a ability in languages if they were helped I remember having to stay behind in detention in British school because I challenged the head of year when she told me that, that, that a science for a boy of your age of 15 is atrocious. 
to which I would come back. But my French is one of the best in the entire year. You don't go on, James, knock him out. Go on. (laughs) Which I to which I came back with. My French is some of the best in the entire year, but you don't help me. You don't support me. And the head of year came back with your French is not important. You won't need it in the future. But five years after that conversation, I was living and working in a foreign environment. So I think that if the British education system would would show the same care and attention to children who are showing aptitude in foreign languages, as much as they do for children that show an aptitude in science and mathematics, we could see a huge difference in future generations. Right. I now open up to uh, who wants to go first, Marcus or Colin? I'll go. Go, 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 go. Um, I, I, I think, uh, I mean, first of all, I, I completely agree with uh, James on, I forgot his name, uh, Dale. Dale Jennings. Dale, Dale Jennings. Dale Jennings. I mean, to talk about feeling homesick and then moving to Barnsley, bloody hell. I mean, if I moved to Barnsley, I'd be sick. But, um, <laughs> I mean. That's a Yorkshire joke for those of you listening. It's from not a Yorkshire joke. Country. It's not a Yorkshire joke. It's a strange place. Um. But I, I, I think you're oversimplifying it with the uh, sort of like the, the the British way of bringing people up and the language and things like that. I think if you look at the people who've been successful, the big names, we've already mentioned Chris Waddle. Um, Gareth Bale. Gareth Bale, David Beckham, David Platt, Paul Gascoigne, Gary Lineker. They went from a position in England... To an even bigger club in Europe, you know. I mean, I I don't mean to detriment Spurs, but Real Madrid, you know, that's a once in a lifetime opportunity. If you get it, you take it, and he did, and 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 likewise with Beckham, yeah, um, and 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 all the the other guys. I I just think that there's so many. Let's use inverted commas, big teams or big clubs in England. That, that there isn't a necessity now for for as many players to have to go abroad. So I think that almost sort of makes their decision for them. Um, and also, I would question whether Britain is, is creating the same calibre of players as those I just mentioned. You know, whether it be on a, a footballing skill level or on a sort of... Um, billboard advertising level you know I, I can't think who the current poster boy from England would be um, who somebody at Barcelona would be saying mm, mm, we'd like to get him he'll sell shirts you know we'll, we'll stick him on you know 20 foot billboards do you know what I mean Harry um, Maguire yeah imagine that big, big fat face you know over <laughs> You a know, big in... Harry Maguire, like LeBron in Cleveland, a big Harry Maguire banner hanging off the Sagrada di Familia. Please, Barcelona, for the love of God, please do it. But you know what I mean, though? They're not they're not sexy, are they? You know, David Beckham could sell his pants anywhere. Um, he'd sell shirts. Um, you know, the, the same with Gascoigne. I mean, that was like a major coup, and and it did really well out there. Maybe the... the the, the impetus, the, the invitation to go over there isn't quite the same. Now, I also would say there are a lot of English players going abroad, but it's just doesn't necessarily hit the headlines. So, for example, I'm a Leeds United fan, um, a championship team. Um, one of our best 
players, um, part of the youth system, though he's played at other clubs as well. A guy called uh, Ronaldo Vieira. Really, yeah. really creative midfielder. Um, represented England at you know youth level. He's, he's great. And he moved to Sampdoria for £7 million. Okay? And a lot of Leeds fans were like, what? what? And essentially, Bielsa came in and said, I can't guarantee that you're going to get a spot because you're the sort of player that a team needs to be built around because of your creativity. And so Leeds said, for your development, we'll get best club that you can go to and Sampdoria paid 7 million quid for him this is a championship player who's still young you know very early 20s um, so it is happening um, but maybe it's just not broadcast as much yeah that's why I saw preface at the start is we we had the time in the 80s and 90s where you had the Lineker and Mark Hughes the Chris uh, Chris Platt uh, Chris Waddle thing going abroad then there was that time in the sort of basically the basically the whole of the 2000s where the only English players abroad were Owen Hargreaves and David Beckham that was Steve basically was the only two Man-a-man. say again McManaman Steve McManaman of course yep Jonathan Woodgate so, okay four <laughs> Uh, but anyway, point stands limited. Now we're starting to get back to that level again. But as you say, Collins, it's not the big names. It's not the. It's not. Uh, it's not a headline grabbing news. You know, we, uh, there's always talk about Harry Kane going to Real Madrid for 100 million. I personally, I, never going to happen in my eyes. But um, as I say, it's sort of slowed down. Marcus, you've been somewhat quiet on this. You you speak, please. Okay. Um... Yeah, a couple of bits, bits uh, I want to talk about there. I mean, most of it's been covered where we talk about British culture, uh, being afraid to take chances, you know, moving abroad, you know, adapting to new environments, things like that. Uh, it's a bit sort of taboo to a lot of British people. Uh, first story, uh, music related. Um, I think had the Beatles not gone to somewhere like Germany and re-recorded a lot of their singles and sung them in German, they may not have had half the success they had going forward and built up a uh, fan base over there as young as they did i'm pretty sure mm. they were in their late teens when they did that uh, before they came back and then just exploded from there and um uh, apart from that other story was just going to be uh it's going to be a personal one quite similar to james's actually where um matt can uh, matt can vouch for this uh when i was at school i used to carry drumsticks with me everywhere um I used to have them where I basically wasn't paying attention in class because well, I just wanted to drum and do stuff like that. Got into trouble with teachers. And, you know, teachers would say, you know, you know, you need to pay attention, you need to get your GCSEs, you need to work hard, you need to do this, that and the other. Hang on, you carry them around in GCSEs? Well, my drumsticks? Yeah, I knew you had them I knew you had them at college. I didn't know you had them around in GCSEs. Are you kidding? Yeah, I took them everywhere. I used to get in a lot of trouble with my teachers because I was tapping away or I'd have my... um earphones in and listen to music playing along and they said you know you're not going to get anywhere with that and as recently as Wednesday as Matt will tell you I just got my certificate from a Yamaha music to certify that I could be a Yamaha drum tutor so you know regardless of where you get where you go what you do you know hard work and taking a leap of faith you know it always pays dividends and the same applies for you know when you look at the four of us three of us are based in Yorkshire two of us are in Surrey one of us is over in the Netherlands. You know, that's probably about the sort of, probably under the sort of going statistic of, you know, Brits abroad and work. 
And I think that does come back to uh, the sort of stigma there is behind that. And, you know, I think a lot of people, a lot of British people have this sort of mindset of, oh, I can't go abroad because, you know, people from foreign countries sort of look down upon the British. But I don't think it's until you go out there and you take a chance uh, and you actually try it before you can, you know, sort of push yourself to, um, you know, taking yourself out of your uh, comfort zone to really sort of adapt and um, grasp and uh, work hard and, and, you know, reap the rewards of that. We've seen that down the years, you know, be it in football, music or other areas of life or otherwise, whether it's, you know, small town people stories or, you know, big celebs or athletes. It, it, it's all, it all comes down to the same principles mm. of, you know, taking a chance, working hard and uh, it ultimately paying dividend, dividends. You don't know when it's going to happen, but you just have to sort of hold out be patient and just wait by the time and it will come eventually marcus can i just jump in here i i don't i don't want to start playing mariah carey music or anything but i think that is the best answer i've heard to a question on the big debate what do you mean ever what why no exactly what you just said the whole About... the whole sentence the whole soliloquy as in you know everything you said then I think just encapsulated it all. Well, I mean, ultimately, you know, I personally learned all these traits the hard way. I had to learn them for myself, you know, going down the years through whether it's through school, through college, through uni, whatever else, that things weren't just going to be handed to me, that I did have to work hard. And, you know, it's taken me 12 years to get to the position I am now. Now, in that 12 years, I might not be from other people's perspective i'm not making this about me but i might not be in like a grand position where i've got a fucking mansion or a lamborghini on my driveway or anything like that but i've absolutely busted my ass to get to the position that i have and i am now at the age of 26 doing exactly what i wanted to do and set a goal of what i wanted at age 14 Excellent. and you know in in defiance of my teachers in defiance of my peers in defiance of commuters or you know where i didn't have support from family or friends i just i kept going ahead with it getting my head down working hard uh you know rejecting go you know pissing my life away you know doing drugs or sleeping around or anything like that because i just wanted to do what i wanted to do and now i've got it and no one can take that away from me excellent right so i'm bringing this back just trying to bring back, this back to football to, yeah back to the back to the football <laughs> right, and i think it, 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 I, you know, the word comfort zone is probably going to be the biggest thing that we can that we can take out of it. But again, it does come back to it's a it's a culture thing, and I think that that culture is now somewhat shifting. I think for me, mainly because um, clubs abroad are now starting to be more appealing, like uh, Andre Luckman with uh, RB uh, with Red Bull Leipzig. That's it. They they've got a, a, a setup there that seems to be like one of these up and coming things. That's why they signed uh, Timo Werner, I believe, um, who's the up and coming German player. And they they are now looking. They look to English youth. They see that there are players. This somewhat touches on what we had um, with the first topic. That there are players in English uh, English and British academies that aren't quite getting game time, and they'll say, "Hang on." This kid's got some talent. He's not going to be playing for Manchester City soon because he's got, you know, X, Y, and Z in the way. I reckon we could we could get him for, you know, a, a bargain. So, you know, three million to take 
this player you're never going to see again off your hands. Uh, They'll uh, take that and then and then develop them from there because the Brit the foreign clubs are seeing British talent. It's just a case of whether or not British people are willing to uh, are willing to take that leap. Uh, Matt, I mean, I mean, it almost sounds like you're trying to bring it back to Phil Foden. Is he your boyfriend? <laughs> no, I. I or are you his agent? I personally cannot stand Phil Foden and the fact that he's getting no is closer to the England squad than Ryan Sessegnon because Ryan Sessegnon deserves. Oh, the there squad. it is. But sure, that's well, down to the current manager, Matt. It's got nothing to do with Foden, is it? It's a, it's a combination of the two, uh, but I do still. But this is this is a thing. I you know I believe it with you know with 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 it goes around it goes around every club. You know if you see uh, oh, who did Man City who did Man United buy in the Fred? You know, why spend your money on Fred when you have Manchester, <laughs> the Manchester United Academy, arguably the greatest academy in arguably I'm not saying it is, but arguably the greatest academy system that the world has ever produced at your disposal why aren't you using that instead of dipping in it's not it's not just Pep Guardiola it goes for everyone in football the same reason that Sari brought in Jorginho at Chelsea because he'd worked so well for him at Napoli that he wanted to basically he knew he trusted him as a player to work as part of his system and get it off the ground quickly if that it pays for itself in that respect okay right moving on we've got one more topic to do uh, one more topic to discuss and it's a so it's somewhat less serious than the previous two. But a report came out this week that oh, I don't think it was much of a surprise to many people, especially when you uh, the biggest, the best example would be Arsenal towards the end of Arsene Wenger's reign. Um, the clubs were so, uh, slightly inflating attendance figures. And the, uh, the, the basic the premise of the story is that it's. Uh, the clubs try to, or whenever they, you know, announce over the tannoy, today's attendance is yada yada yada. It's always paid. It's always, you know, the uh, the paid attendance. So even if a season ticket holder doesn't come in, they've effectively paid for that game. If you take cost of the season ticket divided by nineteen, they've paid to be out of that game. So that counts as an attendee, even if they don't turn up. And it turns out, you know, that um, I think Manchester City. Whoop, drop my microphone. I think Manchester City, uh, his attendance was, I mean, twelve percent above what it actually is. You know, us uh, again. I bring Arsenal into it. You saw the swathes of empty, empty seats there were towards the end of Arsenal Wenger's reign, but apparently it was always a sellout. Um, James, you were the one that sort of suggested this story. So, what was your what was your rationale for suggesting? Because to me, it just seems like a bit of a non-story, just because we've seen this, and I think everyone sort of in the back of their mind, sort of like tax evasion. Everyone knows it's going on, but it doesn't really affect us. So, it you know, just keep it at arm's length, sort of thing. Well, I just thought first and foremost that you know it would be interesting to speak about the fact that clubs shouldn't really, in my opinion, be uh, be adding together people who come who don't come to the matches in their match day attendance. It should be their match day attendance should be everybody who physically came through the turnstiles. Who clicked the turnstiles? Yeah. Yeah, there shouldn't be any of this prepaid nonsense. It should be who's come through the turnstiles and that be that. And also to expand it really in terms of um, in terms of they say about t- uh, attendances falling for certain competitions like the FA Cup. We've got the League Cup coming up the week after next, where lots of ticket prices have been reduced to get people inside the stadiums. 
and just also throwing the net a little bit wider as to the prices of, of British football in general in comparison to the uh, in comparison to the continent. Like for example, I pay on average when I go to watch Arsenal in the Premier League between um, between thirty five and and fifty pounds. When I go to watch Ajax play in the Eredivisie, I pay a maximum of, of twenty pounds. So you see a huge, you see a huge difference. Even also in European competition, I managed to get a ticket for a European match um, uh, for Ajax against Stellum Graz in the first weekend of August in the in the Champions League qualifiers, and that ticket cost me uh, ten pounds. I'm going to watch Arsenal play uh, Volska Bordava from the Ukraine this Thursday in the Europa League group stage, and my ticket is costing me £22. So you see a you see a difference between different um, between different um, countries in terms of ticket pricing, and I just thought it would be nice to to cast a net wide, not just in terms of of dwindling attendance, but also perhaps um, uh, chip in with the uh, with why ticket prices are, are so different across the board in terms of Premier League, even going down to possibly championship and uh, and league league one and league two level yeah there was, it was in one of the articles because basically one story i think it was the bbc did the story and then all the newspapers picked up on it and one of the main reasons uh were given that the clubs inflate their um inflate their attendances was if you sort of aggregate it over the season if you're missing ten thousand if you're you know down five thousand fans but you see that there if you t- uh, uh, extrapolate that over a season that's if my maths is right, uh, 200,000 fans. It probably is wrong. In fact, it's 100,000 more fans that you can say to sponsors, you know, are seeing your uh, advertising every week. So if uh, I'll give the example, if Fulham, when they're dealing with Daffabet, who's our shirt sponsor at the moment, they say, right, we're, you're going to have, you know, each game over the season, you're going to have, uh, top of my head, 500,000 fans um, watching uh, watching your uh, name across the thing, when in when in actual fact, if they actually said it's it's only four hundred fifty thousand, if they use actual statistics, then it's going to be less for them in terms of how much they can gain in how much they can gain in terms of sponsors. Is that that was the reason that I think was I think I saw that I thought I think I saw that reasoning in the Times was the reason why why clubs are doing that. Marcus, do you have any sort of thoughts on this? I mean. Newcastle have had a bit of an attendance issue recently with what with what's going on upstairs. Uh, do you think that uh, attendance to start off? Do you think re- attendance figures really matter in the grand scheme of things? Uh, I mean, I'm not going to get into Newcastle. It's too late for that sort of stuff. I just can't bother with it. I know they did it a few years ago uh, with a protest or a boycott where they claimed that there were like fifty or thousand in there when in reality it was like half empty. So. I think, if anything, you know, when when clubs make those sort of announcements about attendances and it is a blatant lie, I think that creates a negative story in itself. So, if anything, that's going to be another drawback on sponsors coming in. Because, you, know, <laughs> sponsor, sponsor, you know, companies aren't stupid. You know, you say to someone that, oh, you know, we're getting 50,000 in every week. And they look at the ground and go, okay, well, why is it so patchy all across the ground? Then, you know, they're going to know something's, you know, something's up. So, like, does it matter? To an extent, yes. Uh, given, you know, I think it all builds towards the reputation of a club all round. Um, but, you know, be it from a, from a business perspective or otherwise, um, I think, you know, trying to sort of um, live in denial 
uh, of attendances and lying about it. I think, yeah, I think it's just a uh, you're entering sort of really sort of a uh, muddy waters at that point. Okay, Colin, do you have any anything further? I'm assuming Leeds have had a bit of an attendance soar ever since the Bielsa effect kicked in at the start of the year. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with all the sentiments. I mean, I do believe it's driven, you know, just to try and get more money from the sponsors. And I and I think, you know, if you've bought your ticket, you've paid your money, then that counts, whether you're sat in the seat or not. There's then a moral question. You know, people, you could argue, well, should these empty seats be given to children? Or something like that. Schools or whatever. But um, I've also seen the other way as well. I've seen attendances being lower than what they actually are. Um, I've been to Roots Hall, um, watching Southend versus Leeds United, and myself, like a lot of Leeds United fans, weren't in the away end. Um, And I would probably say there was probably too many fans in that ground than there should be and the attendance was a lot lower than what actually was in there um, so I've, I've seen it both ways um, I mean the only other thing I would add as well is that what doesn't help is TV having such an influence on games uh, Sky Sports change games uh, or BT Sports whoever left right and centre um, and people like James, especially from abroad, um, will have booked tickets, flights for a particular game that's a planned and scheduled for Saturday at 3 p.m. And then all of a sudden it's moved to a Monday night or half past 12 kickoff, something like that. And I think that's happening more and more often. Um, Do you think that people aren't going, the, the reason there's empty seats is because people don't want to take that gamble? on buying a seat for a three o'clock game because they know within a week after they bought the ticket it's going to be moved so they don't they're basically not taking the gamble on this on booking it for that certain time i think there's a lot of that i think there's also people who have booked it and have lost their attendance because of it because they're not there um and also because let's say a, a game's moved for tv you're a season ticket holder um it's not convenient for you because they've moved it to half past seven on a Friday night or something. You've got to put the kids to bed. Um, you've got other commitments and you just think, well, sorry, you know what? It's on, it's live on sky sports. You know what I mean? I might as well watch it on TV, put my kids to bed. Fine. It's all sorted. And yeah, unfortunately there's just a seat there that's empty, but it is paid for. Yeah, but what you're seeing now is, and um, uh, it's been going, it's been going for a couple of years. Uh, to, uh, clubs are now sort of seeking partnerships with people like Vigogo and Seatwave are the two big names when it comes in, in my mind when it comes to uh, you know, legal touting is the way that I sort of is the way I sort of put it. it you know, I you know in my opinion the day Vigogo and Seatwave started to be a thing, touting ceased to be immoral in my view. Um, the partner up and say if a season ticket holder can't make the game, they'll put it up for sale on Vigogo or Seatwave so that someone else can take that seat, and then you know and then the seat ticket holder basically keeps the money. That's risky though, isn't it? Back. That's a dodgy one. That's dodgy because let's say for example this weekend it was Millwall versus Leeds. Okay, you're a Millwall fan. It was, it was at the den, new den. You say, oh, you know, let's say I'm a bother boy. I want to create a bit of a 
a hoo-ha. And uh, this Millwall guy, you know, puts his ticket up for sale. And I put on a Cockney accent going, oh, Mike, here, I'll give you 35 quid. And then ends up in the middle of him, you know, a whole load of Millwall guys. And then starts going, hey, up. And starts, <laughs> you know, singing, marching on together. And it all kicks off. Colin, your, your impressions are seamless. Very good, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean. It is a dangerous game because um, I think yeah, you, hooligans more, would more get so well into that. that. You could, yeah, you could be entering all sorts of dangerous territory at that point. You don't know, you know, once you put it up to an anonymous, uh, anonymous buy, you know, you could have anyone enter that ground. Like you know, people with season tickets could just say, "Oh, I'm going to give my ticket to my mate." You know, he can walk in. <laughs> this is a bit of an extreme, but that guy could walk into the away end with a knife, and then you know, God knows what happens from there. Heaven forbid. So it gets a bit of a grey area. I was going to come back to what Colin was saying earlier about Sky Sports and BT. This has happened to me twice uh, in the last yeah. couple of months. I booked tickets to go to Goodson Park because I'd not been there before. So for on the way, I thought, oh, brilliant, got up to Liverpool for the weekend. And I think I booked it three weeks before the match. And then I think a week and a half later, Sky had taken it up for a Monday night. And I, I couldn't make it because I had work commitments. I was like, well, bollocks, that's another year that I can't make it to. Goodison Park then same again happened uh, when the fixtures came out for this season so Cardiff away was in August it's like ah brilliant Cardiff away Saturday three o'clock kickoff spend a weekend in Cardiff brilliant move to lunchtime for Sky Sports you know it just it 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 gives me less incentive to go but why fork out more money to you know for travel tickets whatever else when I can just sit in the comfort of my own home to watch you know Newcastle not win instead Indeed. Um, and that beautifully, talking about Newcastle not winning, is, they're still winless this year, aren't they, Marcus? Just curiosity. They are, yeah. They're and, doing really well. Okay, just waiting for the uh, Rafa Albergate to start. Well, you know, that's, what, that's what happens when uh, Newcastle fans get angry. You know, it's all about Rafa out. You know, it will be soon. Um, but anyway. Uh, this brings an end to this week's edition of the Man on the Post podcast. Um, thanks very much to everyone for joining in. I, I say I, I say every week, um, please, by all means, feel free to suggest any topic because this week was a bit of a stretch. We had to, we, we really were scraping the barrel for subjects this week. Anything that you want to suggest being a topic, please send us in to us uh, at Man on the Post. You can also send it to us, uh, to me or any of us individually on Twitter. I'm at MattReese63. James is? At JamesRoNL. Colin is? At Cass707. And Marcus isn't on Twitter because he's scared of people, basically. He's scared of the uh, backlash that he ever get if any, he said anything negative about Newcastle. Isn't that right, Marcus? Um, I'm not doing it. James, Colin's been a pleasure. <laughs> there you go. He's, he's, he's talking off. Right, all that's there for us to say is thank you very much for listening. It's a goodbye from James. Goodbye, everybody. It's a goodbye from Colin. Goodbye. It's a goodbye from Marcus. And it's a good night from him. <laughs> and it's a goodbye from me. Goodbye. <laughs>